Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass defect, lyrical oxidation, your irrelevant mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, Bam. law of definite proportion, gaining weight, I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, where we explore stories of human curiosity. I'm Regina Barber DeGraff. I'm a physics professor at Western Washington University. I can't say that properly, but that's okay. And I'm here with improviser, my co-host, entertainer, Jordan Baker. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a yeah. I'm an entertainer. You are an entertainer. Right. I'm not just on the show, but like right. on the stage. Yeah, on the stage, at work. At the upfront. And, well, at the upfront. Yeah, yeah, uh, when I serve meat to all my customers, I like to give them a little... You juggle with the meat. Yeah. And uh, knives, a tenderloin, and a chuck steak at the same time. It's pretty... I'm getting pretty good. I'm excited about today's show. Um, we actually interviewed uh, your boss at the upfront, uh, famed comedian Ryan Stiles. We did. We did. And we talked about the process of improv, but we thought we'd also bring in somebody who knows more about maybe the technical part of the process of improv, of maybe studied it a little more. So Who's that? So we brought in, I'll let you introduce her, actually. Uh, this is Una Kava. And uh, she used to be your improv yeah, instructor, Yeah, she was right? my teacher for, uh, they have classes from 100 to 500, and uh, she was my teacher for 100, 200, and 400, I believe. I think that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. You sound very educated, Jordan. I mean, you had took this whole series of improv, improv classes, I mean. Nah, I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, it's, <laughs> anybody can take them, right? right? It's just, yeah, it, there's no application process? Nope. <laughs> There is no application. You start at 100. They have it. Uh, right. They have special classes now for. Um, I'm sure some people, people who... fail though, right? No. <laughs> no. No. I don't think. Can you fail? I don't think so. If you if you were to fail, it would be because you were being so socially evil to your fellow students that mm. you have to get 86. But it's rarely happened. Okay. Yeah. But it has happened. Maybe. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm or deny. <laughs> well, um, today, so we want our process of improv show to kind of we're going to talk to you and we're also going to have clips of our interview kind of in the show too so i want to get started um you are an improv instructor or mm -hmm. were or you still are i'm taking a, a bit of a hiatus okay. but i've been one for about 10 years yeah yep. so you you know about like the actual how, how do you teach improv if that's even possible um, so in our interview with Ryan Stiles, he's been doing it for 30 some years and this is something he's just kind of learned over the years but for those of us that love improv and want to learn about it and don't have 30 years, how do you start? Well, Ryan also took classes too, so just people should know that. Um, <laughs> long, just long wake ago. Up one day. <laughs> yeah. I get the feeling he was a natural. He was, you know, kind of a ringer, but he did yeah. take classes at Second City. Um, so if you right. were interested. Which he brought up very, very briefly. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he also is a great teacher. Sometimes he teaches, and I've learned so much just in the short classes he's taught too. He's amazing. So the first thing you could do if you were feeling like you were attracted to the idea, but you were scared, you could take a free drop in class. There are a couple different places in the community that do that. Obviously, Upfront is the one I would recommend, um, and that's just an hour, super, super chill. You're not, you don't have ever have to try to be funny or entertaining. You don't need an acting background. You just go there and basically be as willing to participate as you would if you were, you know, maybe 
I'm trying to think of a safe, silly example. You know, it's it's the kind of thing you would do if you like were a team building. Exercise yeah, exactly, exactly. At work, which are yeah. also scary. Now, I want to be honest here. I'm very scared of audience participation. Like, if I ever mm-hmm. went to like a musical or or anything. Oh, I still I still get terrified. If, yeah. If I think that someone's gonna drag right. me on stage, I p- my arms go in, in like folded arms. I get really small in my chair. I'm like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. So would I be able to do this? Absolutely. The, <laughs> the trick is that, and this really is um, one of the most important parts of learning improv and remembering coming back to this even when you get more comfortable with it um, because you'll have a different type of discomfort that will come up but you take it in little bites and they're so small at first that they don't feel like you're performing they don't feel like you're trying to be a comedian in any way shape or form it might just be as simple as saying your name in a circle one at a time or counting together um, with one or two little weird rules about you know we'll count to seven and then we'll go around in a certain other direction. I mean, they're just little tiny bite-sized things. And then I'm not saying that those won't be scary because they usually are for at least some of the people there just because you're putting yourself out there in a new way. And you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. When am I going to be really uncomfortable? And that's very uncomfortable in itself. But the, the main thing about improv is that you start to embrace the fact that you're always going to find something to be uncomfortable about. And you, so Instead of trying to um, get rid of that feeling, you just let it sit there with you while you keep on doing it. But that's incremental that too. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> well, I, I myself am like an obsessive, like anxious person. I dwell a lot. Mm-hmm. But you're saying I'm. This is I'm now. I'm just thinking this is maybe what you mean. You're in this safe group, so you don't really have time to dwell for one, and then also, do you have people helping you with these new ideas, or is it like feeding off of each other so I can't dwell as much, or would would you say that that's not true? <laughs> I would say that you, I don't wanna sugarcoat it. <laughs> we all bring in our, our self-consciousnesses. We all bring in things that we are really hoping nobody will notice about us. Yeah, I just say them, so. Well, people notice. (laughs) (laughs) But we all have things. It's it's usually multiple things. And if you think you're confident, maybe your thing is you want to continue to be thought of as confident or funny or successful. So we all bring in this baggage. And so I think the fact that everyone is there to work together and you very quickly realize that it's not about what you do. It's about how comfortable you make your partner or partners. So the burden isn't really on you for yourself. It's not for you or your ego. It's there. Like if Jordan and I are in a scene together or just doing a very basic game, my only concern should be to listen clearly as much as I can to Jordan and then do whatever I need to do to make him as at ease as possible. So everyone's sharing their neuroses. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I did want to bring this up because as you're talking, I just keep on thinking that um, as a scientist, you take your first science class ever and they don't expect you to be like, now you're a scientist. Um, well, I mean, Sid the Science Kid, a preschool show, does say everyone's a scientist. But, I, I mean, they don't expect so much out of you in that first class. Right. But when you be, in my opinion, in my view that I'm not an improv, I'm not a comedian, I just assume that people take these classes and they think, oh, I got to be funny right now. Like, I got to I gotta skip all these steps and suddenly become this great improv entertainer and this great comedian. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to somehow make that person feel safe and that it's it's 
tiny steps like you were talking about, just like in any science, just like in anything that you're learning. Yep. Yeah, and I never thought of it like that. Well, and, and the flip side is that um, as a teacher, one of the most important things I have to get across to some of the students in every class I teach, in the beginning classes anyway, is, you know what, do not come in here with what you think is funny. Do not perform. Do not try to act. and Do not try to make anyone here laugh. Don't try at all mm. because you need to throw that out the window because if you're preconceiving anything, you're not doing improv. They are actually the harder students to make feel comfortable, actually, because the ones that think they're funny. Yeah. Okay. Or the ones they think they already have it together. So, what was your first experience? Like, you walk into the door, Jordan. This is your first improv class. No, well, I I will start the story earlier. Uh, (laughs) So, for I got a gift certificate for Christmas to take a class, and I almost threw up. Um, really? because I was so terrified and I wanted to cash it in and just get the money back. Uh, <laughs> and so well, I actually, that's what boxing day is for. Right. Yeah. But they were, they were closed, so I couldn't go back. Um, but I was there and Una actually sat us all down and was like, you know, go through the names. And, um, and then that she asked how you ended up starting to take the class. And there was like, like, I don't know, it was like the most gift certificates that anybody had, or any class had ever been given to actually <laughs> so take you, these classes. You were among friends because everyone else had gift certificates. Yeah, they were just like, well, we don't didn't really want to do it either, but <laughs> somebody gave it to us. So. But do you remember what I told that class? I How I started? Uh, somebody gave me a gift certificate and I almost threw up and didn't want to do it at all. <laughs> oh see, my God. Kindred spirits. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That is so amazing. I, I bet everyone felt so much better. You're listening to Spark Science. We're talking about improv comedy today on KMRE 102.3 in Bellingham. I've had so many students that are just like, I never liked, oh, I've always liked science, but I never thought I could do it. And, and I'm like, well, me too. You know, I also didn't get great grades. And they're like, oh my God, what? You know, so that... I, I think that that's really reassuring because every time I, I'm scared of improv because of just being out there and just being in front of people and being embarrassed. And Ryan said this too, this idea of being embarrassed. It's like, how do you get past that? How, how did you get past that idea of feeling embarrassed or how do you get your students to get past that? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I heard a hypnotherapist say a number of years ago that I've since started telling people um, is you're not scared, you're, you're excited. It's not necessarily fear, it's just all this actual physical energy that's just rushing through you for a lot of really good reasons. And so it, it has felt like fear up to now, but is it really? Some of it is, some of the yeah, time, but I, it's not it's just that, right? Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, and then there's also, um, <laughs> Something else that I I love to bring up is, I think his name is Julian Smith, and he wrote a book called, I think it's called Flinch. It's all, he he did a lot of research looking at our fight and flight. Right. And how basically you can start going towards that flinch kind of feeling. Anytime you kind of feel flinchy about something, that's where you, that's because it's it's purely just because it's new. There's nothing wrong. It's just our body has programmed us to feel fear attached to that unknown, but it's literally just unknown. And so I actually taught a whole um, eight-week class once called Flinch Prov, just trying to, and this is with advanced students, where I just, I just came up with, (laughs) if I ever do it again, well, it was just to keep them back, go back to the scared point that maybe they hadn't felt in a couple years because they've been doing improv for so long, so that they could kind of have a refresher. But aside from all those, you know, 
ideas that I picked up. Yeah. I think just letting them know that checking in after and before every single exercise, how do you feel? Was that scary? Did, and I, I was a person who had so much self-consciousness and my ego was really wrapped up in holding it together. So I didn't yeah. want to do any weird sounds. I didn't want to do any kind of movement that wasn't perfect. I wanted to be funny and safe. And so right. I'm just sharing that with my students all the time to the point where probably some of them are like, actually, we're fine. We're totally cool. Yeah. Is a way that I, I tend to help beginning students. Again, I can only relate this to teaching and science because that's all I am. But in science, there's there's like science education uh, research and they talk about how, you know, unless you feel uncomfortable, you really have to push your boundaries because if, if you always feel comfortable and you always feel safe and you're just memorizing, you're not really learning. You know, you're not really, you know, advancing your knowledge. And when you feel discomfort, when you are struggling, that's your brain actually learning. That's mm -hmm. what that is. So, I mean, I'm glad that in improv, it's like exactly the same. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think some of my best shows, well, at least for me, uh, were the ones that I got up and I was just had that like terrifying uh, thought in my head of like super nervous. And I probably haven't felt that for like a year or so. Right. And, and it's, I don't know, it's just kind of made me feel like a mental plateau of where I can go. So maybe I just need to get out there and yeah. be a crazy spaghetti man or something, move around. I think I think you're absolutely right. I I took a class because I get I got free classes. Um, I get them at Western too because I work. But um, when I worked at Bellevue, I got like a free class. I took a language class, and I remember my first test, and my heart was pounding, and I was like sweating. I hadn't taken a test in like years, you know, as a student, and like the teacher was walking around. And I was like, why won't she just sit down? She's so loud, and I was like just just freaking out. I'm like, oh my god, this is what my students feel when I'm giving a physics test, and. And so I, I tell this story to my students and I'm like, it's always good for us professors to every once in a while take class, you know, go back. And I'm like, yeah, so I feel the same thing as you do. And I go, I got an A at that class, but the point is, you know, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I rocked it. Right, I rocked it, but the point, <laughs> I was scared. Yeah, so, but I want to take us back. I want to take us back to what you said. These students that come in with these preconceived notions that they're funny or they're trying to make something funny because they find it funny or they want to say something that they find funny. So we brought this study up with this neuroscientist. Get it right. Yeah, Jackie Rose, Dr. Jackie Rose, brought this study up and it was about these control groups where they were looking at, well, one was a control group, they were looking at a cartoon and they needed to make words or something funny, a joke out of it. And then comedians that had to make a joke out of this cartoon and people that were somewhere in the middle. And they said that the part of the brain that was active in these fMRIs um, when they were making up this joke was the same part that was active when they found something funny. But it was least active in these professional comedians. And uh, I wanted to know what you thought about that. Well, um, professional comedians take their craft so seriously. And they, the ones that I know and have met and have talked to about it and, and have even and sometimes helped with, you know, their sets. It's They're just in this constant state of painstaking, self-critical analysis. Yeah. And so, and even if you laugh, they might ask you later, why didn't you laugh more? I mean, it's, it's they their business is to be funny. And so it's a very rational harnessing of a creative impulse. And by the time it gets to an audience, it's been just 
marinating and carved and shaped and marinated again. And there, I remember hearing an NPR story um, about a journalist who traveled with George Burns. And George, George Burns did one thing different in one joke when one of the many nights she was on tour with him. And it was something tiny, like the way he moved or something. And afterwards, um, that's all he wanted to talk about was the, if that, whether that was bad or good and how he could make it even better. And, you know, this wow. was towards the end of his life. I right. mean, so I think that's yeah. a pretty good example of the way most comedians <laughs> end up thinking. Yeah. You know? That's what I said to Jackie Rose, basically, that they were like analyzing this like a yeah. science. Yeah. So you, you have a master's degree in um, adult True. education, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. you, what did you do your, your dissertation or sorry, thesis on? My master's thesis? Yeah. I looked at using improv as a tool for transformative learning okay. for adult learners. So I was looking at how the field of transformative learning has to do with changing your meaning perspectives. And once that's changed, you have a completely new and different way of looking at that part, particular part of your life. And I'm not talking about literacy or anything, you know, typical school. I'm talking about the way you think about yourself in the relation to others or what scares you or makes you feel self-confident or self-conscious. I cannot talk today, but that's all right. there we go. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, so I looked at a bunch of improvisers that I had taken classes with and I I followed about four of them for a very long period of time and just interviewed with them and um, there was a very obvious, it it definitely had a huge impact on each of them and um, I just ended up seeing it in one particular type of improv game and performance but um, just from all my years of doing it. Which game? Well it was it wasn't a game as much as um, it's called status work, where okay. you you seem high or low status. The same way I, when I say status, I don't mean money, but I mean more in the animal world, you know, like whether okay. you're an alpha or very low on the totem pole. Right. And so there are things you can do physically to be to be perceived as a high or low status or somewhere in the middle. Right. And in my study, independently of each other, without ever talking about it, they each started using status in their personal lives and in their careers, mm-hmm. and they were having a lot of fun with it. And so things that used to stress them out, whether it was big social occasions or um, one of them was in charge of a nonprofit and just had to be constantly juggling problems all the time. Yeah. Just in all these different ways, they were using status as a little personal joke. They are playing a game all the time, but it was also elevating them and making them appear so much more strong and confident. Right. So... If they had said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to this," um, you, I think one person had to go to kind of like a, 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 you know, like a nonprofit ball kind of thing, and that usually would have stressed her out. Plus, she was in charge of it. But in, if she had said, "I'm gonna be really confident tonight," that may or may not have gone well for her. But instead, right. she just had this private game she was playing. That's and awesome. I yeah, that. it's it's amazing. <laughs> well, there's a lot of theory on on the on game theory. Yeah. And play theory and how like power poses and stuff and I don't know about power poses. I've had um, other professors talk about like this idea of power poses where um, you have the whole class like make their most powerful like pose like mm-hmm. you know put their arms up and they're like I'm so strong I'm awesome and like say just great things about themselves and like make themselves as big as possible and then sit down and take the test uh-huh. and that way it like gets all their energy out and it makes them feel like positive right before they're taking the test and and confident Mm -hmm. in a way so that's probably the i don't know (laughs) i think it's from the the same outcome yeah yeah no i think they're they're definitely related the only difference is that instead of having somebody have them do that deliberately for that purpose these people are doing it because this is a really cool time for me to have this little fun game that only i know i'm playing it wasn't to succeed it was 
just to give themselves something to do in these moments that they were living. And then, wow, it worked. I'll I'll do it again. Yeah. It'd be cool if somebody else in the ball was also playing the game, though, and you were, like, taking tallies and stuff. That Ah, would would be awesome. You could do that. You could probably set something up. Right. Yeah. And I want to just piggyback on that. When I first learned about that, there was a book called uh, Impro uh, by Keith Johnstone. It was, like, sort of the guy who started improv, I think, wasn't it? One of the main guys, yeah. yeah. What Um, year, like, did he start uh, improv? I I think this was in the late 50s or early 60s. Okay. Um, Leaklinks, go ahead. <laughs> but that was where I learned about status, and like I think I alluded to it when we were talking to Ryan about how I can look at somebody and kind of judge how what they're thinking. Right, and how to read people. Yeah, basically how to read people, and it became my game at work because I deal with the public all the time just to be able to look at them and assess them and play with them. I do it in social situations as well, just... Okay. Looking at, I'll get close to somebody and watch them move away to like make space for me, or I can, you know, I don't know. There's right. just different fun things to do, and that really yeah. intrigued me. Yeah, I need maybe I need to go to these classes. We're gonna take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about how at Stony Brook, the actor Alan Alda is talking about this, it, um, teaching improv to scientists to better c- communicate science. So we'll come back and talk about that, and we'll also talk about the difference between improv comedy and stand-up comedy. If you're just joining us, I'm Jordan Baker. And I'm Regina Barber-DeGraff. This is Spark Science on KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham. Hey, I'm Ryan Stiles. You may uh, know me from my many years of playing the role of Doogie Howser. And you are listening to KMRE LP 102.3 FM in Bellingham. Your community, your voice, your station. Like I've mentioned before, we had a neuroscientist on, Dr. Rose, and she talked about a study that they were doing. She heard about this at a conference where they were actually doing brain mapping of people um, doing improv, basically. They'd give them this, this, like, con- uh, this cartoon and said, like, tell us a joke from this cartoon. So, and they had like a control group, which was just like random Did people. Did they have things the stuck to their head? No. It wasn't that kind of thing? No. no. Oh, well, well, yeah, 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 yes. They so did you have laughed s- at me at first no. and said no, and then you, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yes, they did. Sorry, I thought you meant like the comic was stuck to their head. No, no, no. I was no. so I confused. Probes and, yeah, yeah, probes, yeah. So the, they're trying to make a joke out of this, um, this cartoon they were given, mm-hmm. and they had three groups, and one was a control group. Middle people were like people just learning comedy, like kind of trying out. And then like the last group was like professional comedians. And they were like saying that uh, as they were basically mapping out the brain, that the same place in your brain that like basically lights up when you're laughing is the same area that lights up as you're trying to figure out a joke. However, it happened the least in the professional comedians. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So my my hypothesis was that the professional comedians are actually like trying to analyze this, trying to figure out what other people will find funny instead of what's going to make that could them be true. find funny. That find could be funny. true. Yeah. I don't I don't think that would be all comedians necessarily. Right, right. I mean, I'm sure there there are some who just have fun with what they do. Right. That you might not see that in as much. Yeah. Would that be a different part of the brain though? Is fun and laughter like this? I think I think if you you she did it with stand-up comics? Uh, I yeah. don't it I think it might sure be it different was. if yeah. she, she did it with improvisers. 
Yeah. That's true. Because, I mean, I, you know, I mean, we'll tend to have fun on stage and laugh at each other and, you yeah. know. I mean, I laugh at people on stage all the time, which you're not going to do when you're a comic. Are you liking with them or at them? Well, I'll, I, I just, a lot of things strike me as funny on yeah. stage, and I'm certainly not going to try to suppress my laugh. I'll just have to fit it in somehow. Right. I do try to suppress my laughter, cause, but um, maybe I shouldn't. No, let it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it could be offensive sometimes. I mean, you know it's incredibly good for you. Right. I, uh, yeah. I sometimes, That's science. Yeah. What is, it, what is it set off when you laugh? What, what is it? it it's endorphins the re- it, it, yeah, it yeah, yeah. It's actually is it so endorphins or endolphins. It's it's <laughs> a dolphins who have endorphins. It is okay. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> What's they've, the porpoise of that really though? <laughs> oh, what? Oh, yeah, puns. Yeah, puns are great. Um, well, actually, so there was another article I was reading. It said that like the benefits of laughter, like so these these professors that study humor mm-hmm. say it helps with um blood flow of course um it helps with like heart disease mm-hmm. to laugh yeah it helps with um just you know, obviously depression and stuff right. like that but um there were these other things too i don't remember um just tons of benefits well, and then there was another article that said but it's not all great i mean laughter does increase the risk of having foreign objects go into your mouth oh yeah like a bird <laughs> like a bird flying yeah. in there yeah yep. uh yeah, that was well, my yeah favorite no, no, there are dangers right? for sure <laughs> I was trying to play down uh, all these benefits. You could fall off something if you were laughing really hard. You're right. Right. It was like you uh, could choke, so don't laugh. Say you're going to uh, the washroom on a jet, <laughs> and you suddenly start laughing and back into the door and release that thing and get sucked out. Right. I mean, Through that tiny yeah, hole. Yeah, there are. Right. I mean, there's a reason those old <laughs> comics lived into their 90s. You know, all right. those guys lived forever, you know. And that was back at a time when everybody smoked and drank, and, you know, I mean, right. they just laughed all the time. They were just yeah. happy, you know. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's, it's, oh, the other one was exercise. Like laughing burns so many calories right. in this article. And, um, but another thing with the study we were just talking about with comics not using a certain part of the brain as much as the other people, it said, curiously, professional comics had a dip in activity in a part of the brain linked to depression. So perhaps the truth about the sad clown stereotype, you know, there's, oh, and I was like, I'm so wow. I'm sick of hearing about all that stuff. I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Richard Pryor's mother was a, you know, prostitute and he grew up in a brothel. And then, you know, Robin's Williams, Robin Williams' dad was like a, a big, huge business guy who made a fortune, you know. Right. So it's like, it doesn't, you know, you don't happy, know. happy, sad. I mean, you know. Julia Louise Dreyfus, it comes from like a millionaire family. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I just looked that up. Yeah. She's yeah. pretty And she's happy. amazing. Wow. She's very funny. Yeah. Very funny. Yeah, did she do improv? Uh, Yeah, well, she did Saturday Night Live. That's true. With her husband, who also did uh, Saturday Night Live. The Hall, Brad Hall. Yeah. 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 So She's an improviser, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, the more you talk about this difference between improvising and stand-up, it's, it's fascinating me. Think that in improv, you kind of make these connections. So, so as you were talking about, it's like freedom and you have to be creative. And you, I, you said you don't have to think quickly, but I think you do. So I, I do, but I don't, I don't consider it thinking quickly because that's yeah. how I think all the time anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, there's don't. times when I think even quicker that I'll go, oh, I'm thinking quick. <laughs> but that's probably the speed of sound. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I'm amazing. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Like, I, I really am something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to you at the break and beforehand that there are these like classes that 
people are making for scientists. And like one is called Improv Science. And um, another one, Alan Alda from MASH, is doing a class at Stony Brook University for the, almost the last 10 years to teach like scientists how to communicate their science to like the public. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that? Do you think scientists need some improv? Because maybe some of them are th- quick thinkers, but they're not just not thinking in the right way. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of the people that take our classes at the theater yeah. don't necessarily take them to be on stage and be funny. I mean, they're taking them because they have to deal with the public and speak to the public in a, in a format. You know, they, they just need to be more comfortable in front of it. Because, it's you know, as you know, it's the greatest fear for people to, you know, be in front of an audience. And, you know, if you took Robin Williams, for instance, was incredibly uncomfortable if it was just him and one other person in a room. Really? Incredibly uncomfortable. But wow. if you put him in front of a thousand people, he's fine. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's the same reason I, and I don't think you really want to, people to know what you're like if you're improvising because it makes it harder to improvise. I mean, right. if there's people that want to, if we're on tour or something and they want to come backstage and, and meet us or whatever, they always want to, you know, should we come back before or after? I'm always, well, come back after because I don't, I don't want you right. to know me before I go on stage. It's that anticipation. It's that. Well, also, I can play myself with just a little quirk. Right. If they don't know me, they think that's a character, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. uh, uh, I don't want to know them and right. I don't want them to know me. Right. It, it's it's harder if right. that's the case. That's why I hate it when my family comes to shows. It's like, ugh, my family's here. Right. You know, I got to worry about that and, you know. Yeah. Because I know I'm performing to people I'll probably never see again, which is fine. I never think of that. See, as as a professor, you have to, like, basically perform every day in front of, like, 80 students. Right. And they do kind of know you over and over and over and over again. Right. Like, when you do mess up, they definitely know. Of (laughs) course. But at least you have, like, you have somewhat, I mean, I think in improv, you're kind of all kind of level on the same playing field. But as a professor, maybe you have control over their grade. So that's, I mean... They kind of have to laugh at my jokes. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, you should control a crowd at the same time. <clears throat> That's you know? true. And, and That's there's true. nothing, you know, you once in a while have to put them, you know, I mean, if, if I go out on stage and I see someone with their feet on the stage, it drives me crazy. Yeah. Because that's my church, you know. Don't put your feet <laughs> on my stage. You right. have nothing to do with this. <laughs> Get your feet off my stage. You paid to see me. Well, it's my stage. That's sacred. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's That's true. where I perform, you know. Yeah. Don't put your feet on it. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the times we have to deal with like hecklers and stuff in the middle. Well, not really hecklers, but a yeah. lot of like, well, and there's there's another thing who... with hecklers, for instance. Uh, you know, for a stand-up, a stand-up has to deal with a heckler. Yeah. If you are an improviser and someone starts heckling, and you continue and work, you know, with what you're doing on stage, people in the audience will tell that person to shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Which you're never going to see at a stand-up thing. Yeah. That's true. Because they're rooting for you. They've yeah. suggested what they're involved. They're invested in the show. Yeah. Don't spoil our show. Yeah. Whereas a stand-up, they're waiting to see what the stand-up's going to say back to this person. They're not going to yeah. stick up for the stand-up like they would stick up for an improviser. When you're saying that, it makes me think, um, and the only way I can at all relate to this is because I, I don't do this. I teach. You're listening to Spark Science on KMRE 102.3 in Bellingham, and we're talking about improv comedy today with Ryan Stiles. So there is there are these students that are like really really rude, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you'll be talking and they'll interrupt you while you're lecturing. They'll they'll answer questions in a very hostile way. And there was this one student, and one day I just said, you know, are you mad at me? 
I just said that mm-hmm. like in the middle of lecture, and he was like, "Oh my God, no! I don't, I don't, I don't think he understood he was being hostile." And then somebody in the front row, this this woman turns around, she was like, "Because that's what you sound like." I would just be, I can't imagine yeah. what kind of horrible day you must have had. <laughs> you should really tell us about your day because you're just so. It, yeah. Obviously, you you need to tell us. Yeah. Get it out so you're not such a dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you're right about the the investment. You know, <laughs> like the because the first day of class, I have people talk about class norms. Like, what do we expect out of this class? What are what is okay and what's not okay? Mm-hmm. And like all the not super vocal hostile s- students will come up and be like, "Well, don't be a jerk." You know, let people talk, don't interrupt. And like, you know, and then we get two weeks in and now they're invested, you know, and now they know they will stick up for me and they are on my side. So, yeah. Yeah. I just get on your side. And, you know, with improv too, if if they see, it's another thing, you know, some comics will come out and like, uh, they've got a style where it's like, you know, I'm going to tell you some jokes, but man, it's really a pain for me to be here. You know, it's that kind of, you know, attitude. And after a while, the audience is like, yeah, why don't you just leave? (laughs) Where, you know, if we're having fun on stage, they see that. Right. And they want to have fun with you. They don't want to be left out. So, you know, there's nothing worse than that kind of Russell Crowe kind of, (laughs) I'm so hard done by, you know, it's $30 million for this picture, but it is a drag. You know, it's that kind of, you know, I get that vibe off of Russell Crowe all the time. (laughs) Have you ever met Russell Crowe? No, no. (laughs) But I get that whole, oh my God, this is just, uh, yeah, he probably would because he's such a, you know, horrible person. Um, (laughs) One, two, three, five of them. Um, Um, I've seen a lot of, I mean, we talked about not shying or shying away from what they uh, have suggested, but a lot of the times, like you said, that people are invested. If you actually bring up point blank what their suggestion is the the people who suggested it they just like clap and oh, yeah. laugh they want and you to happy succeed because right. that's what like, they suggested right and yeah. uh, you know a lot of times i'll just go out and um talk to a crowd for like five or ten minutes before the show and then uh, we won't take a suggestion we'll just take down the lights and and we'll just come out and start well yeah obviously a lot of that stuff is going to be incorporated to, in the show because it's on your mind already you know right I mean, if I've talked to some Canadian who's come down in his RV to to go to, you know, some store to buy milk, you know, <laughs> some something's going to pop up somewhere. You know, yeah. it'll either be a scene about an RV or, you know, a right. Canadian invasion or something will come up right. that, as we've drawn off that. And they'll, they'll know that. Yeah. You know. And there's nothing they like better than also to hear a comedian laugh. Right. I mean. Right. But they like, want to be part of it. Yeah. They want to yeah. be part of it. Yeah. They don't want to be, they don't want that wall between and a right. lot of a lot of stand-ups do that, you know. Right. But that's what scientists do. That's what Alan Alda's doing. He's te- he's showing how he's showing this the scientists how to become relatable, how to take down right. that wall right. and use language. Well, he's a that. very likable man. Right. Yeah. Very likable man. Yeah. He's one of those guys that when you see him you just go, I could, you know, have dinner with that guy and just hang out. Yeah. He's just that kind of guy. Yeah. You get vibes off people like that. You know yeah. who you want to see and who you don't, you know. Yes. I think it's another good thing about an improviser is you can judge people really well. You really can. Yeah. In the first 10 seconds of talking to someone, I know whether I really want to spend a lot of time with that person or not. You know You know if they have a sense of humor or, I just, or I a I have no time for rude people. I just have no time. Yeah. My life's too short even to deal with that. Yeah. And you know what? I don't want to figure out. You know, I used to have a, you know, one of the shows I was on, we had a, uh, one of the producers was one of these guys who, when he came in, you had to figure out whether he's going to be in a good mood or a bad mood that day. It was like, mm. I, I don't care. I really don't care. I'm just not going to deal with you because yeah. I haven't got the time to figure out whether you're in a good mood or a bad mood because I could care less. Those are tyrants. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, isn't that the word for it? I don't know. This guy was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, for me, it's helped me a lot uh, doing customer service, just to be oh able to God, look yes. at somebody's uh, mm-hmm. posture and just kind of be able to read them and just really? know how to react mm-hmm. to them, knowing how to establish status. Um, and I can basically control what they're buying. Or really? If I, yeah. So there's a lot of like I mean sociology happening here of like oh, yeah. like first you know and, and you know we'll take shortcuts on things like if I if I go yeah. into a store and, and I see Jordan by the counter I'll you know first thing I might say to him is what are you thinking about four and a half pounds and he knows exactly what I mean yeah right. he knows exactly what I mean he'll you know yeah twenty minutes yeah okay you know he knows I want to roast that's twenty four and a half pounds and you know so with yeah. there's shortcuts that we do on stage too you know right. With people, with the audience, and uh, or with with each other. With it's just so, there's no rules. I mean, yeah. I've been on stage where I've brought a child up from the audience <laughs> and done a scene right away where that child is my child, and we're talking about something. Right, you know. and they just play along. They play along. Oh yeah, yeah. I've done that. You know, and the younger, the, I've taken you know eight year olds, and you know, yeah. Why time? Tell me what happened at school today. Yeah, and they'll tell you. You know, well, I uh, I wasn't behaving probably like I should. And what did we say? What happened? If that happened again, we don't get TV. Yeah, you don't get TV, and you're never going to learn to drive. Remember, I told you you're never going to learn to drive. This is like an yeah, I remember. They'll go along with you. Yeah, I remember. And they are. They're they're okay, super so great get, about it. You, mother has your suitcase over there. Go pack it, <laughs> and I want you out by morning. But they'll play along with you. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Because they have no rules. They have no how things should be in their mind. Right. So, so have you met a lot of scientists? No. No. <laughs> How many physicists have you met other than me? Five. Okay, five. No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what but, people do for it. Maybe I, I might talk to someone for two hours and not know what they do. Yeah, that's true. But the, so, so I, mean, I mean, when we are, we're on tour, we get yeah. things where people come backstage and talk so, to us. I have no idea what they do. So you're ta- the tour that you're talking about, just for our listeners, is the um, we still, it any, anyway. Yeah, we tour. still tour once in a while. And you're doing a show in Seattle, like, recently, like uh, recent, right? In, in like a week? a couple months or something. Like oh, okay, I'm yeah. totally off. Okay. Yeah, you're off. <laughs> I did great research here. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah it's not in a week. No. It's not in a week. <laughs> I don't want to scare you. It's not. next week, actually. No, it's yeah. not. Your agent calls me. next Friday. <laughs> I don't have an agent, so <laughs> you're Jokes wrong. on you. Oh, all this research for naught. But, um, but I, I think that when you're saying that, like, breaking down these walls, trying to get away from these rules, scientists are very, rule, like, huge rule followers. Right. I mean, I am. Right. I mean, my friends are, right? Right. Um, and you're probably the most fun scientist I've met. Really? Yeah, because they have those rules. Usually they're like, mm, you know. Yeah. It's well, like a 1970 Donald Sutherland movie. You know, <laughs> there's your professor. Well, you know, it's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You know. I actually did research with a Canadian man who looks exactly like Donald right. Sutherland and sounds right. like him. That's why he and always he... plays them in movies. He's always <laughs> a professor. There's nothing worse than watching. I can't remember was it which James Bond movie what it was where Halle Berry was the... Uh, and what was her? What was she? A nuclear physicist? Maybe? No, no, no. You're thinking of Denise Richards, and she. Oh, was, that's right. She was. Uh, uh, I, you were right. the first person to get into Denise Richards and Halle Berry mixed up, but um, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but she was. Well, Halle Berry played something too that she, she did. She did. It was. Been. It was a. It was right. like an earlier one right. than that, or later. I don't know. But um, all I remember is her bikini. I think Denise Richards was a nuclear physicist. Yes, yes, yes she was. Yeah. So or some sort of physicist. Yeah. I didn't see that one. And her right. name name was like Christmas. Yeah, Christmas something. Something yeah. something yeah. terrible. And it was all shots in bikinis. Right. Because that's, that's what physicists wear. Right. right. That's right. That's what we wear. Right. Even the men. Of course they do. Because yeah. thongs and yeah. Gender exactly. equal right. labs. Right. 
But I, I think, yeah, there's this idea of not, like, not being free. I think in science we're very kind of, I'll just talk for Are we still our, talking about the clothes? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I'm talking about emotions. Oh, emotions, okay. Perception, personality. Um, I'm going to talk for all scientists now. Well, although, you know, look at uh, Neil. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, I mean, he also he, has two last names, just fun. like me. Yeah, he is fun. Funny and yeah, fun. He is fun. For me, it's it's hard to find a lot of people that are as um, willing to talk about things that aren't science than I am. Well, you maybe need a drink. You know, yeah, <laughs> loosen up. They do. A bottle of wine. There are a lot. Of, yeah, there yeah. are. But uh, little, the whole, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, Barry White, a glass of wine. Yes. He's great. Chill out a little bit. Yeah, it's true. It's yeah. true. But uh, this whole this whole show is to show that science is like approachable and scientists are approachable. So I'm just perpetuating the stereotype right now. I'm doing it. Good for you. Good for me. Yeah, I no. can't even believe we're not in the same room. Why do we have to have glass between us like this? Yeah. <laughs> <at the> same <laughs> table as me. I mean, this you know, this is weird. Yeah. Why do you have a hazmat suit on? Right. Why am I in the bathroom? <laughs> we're, we're we're actually skyping everybody in right here. I have here. no idea what that means. <laughs> really. Video, video TV. <laughs> Whatever. I don't have. FaceTime. I don't have anything. I don't have a, a, a website. I don't. Don't be have, so down on I yourself. Don't have, uh, I don't have. Uh, I don't Twitter. I don't uh, yeah. have Facebook. I don't. Right. Doesn't even know. have an email. I do now. I think. I think I have an email. Somebody oh. else takes care of that because I have to have scripts sent and all that kind of stuff. Uh, right. They don't just send them. But like, it's not big something packs. where I go home and check my email. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> all right. We're gonna take another break, and then when we come back, we will talk about improv and science and TV. If you're just joining us, this is Spark Science on KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham. I'm Regina Barber DeGraff. And I'm Jordan Baker. We're talking about the process of improv with comedian Ryan Stiles. Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking with uh, Una Kava about improv, the process of improv, and uh, we are trying to figure out some stuff, and we're going to talk right now about the Alan Alda Center. Uh, Alan is teaching uh, improv to scientists. Yeah. And this is at Stony Brook, and this happened almost a decade ago where he he actually um, spearheaded this. He was like, I think it would be a good idea if we used improv to help scientists communicate science to the public. And this is what this show's trying to do. I don't know if we're succeeding. <laughs> I think we are. Yeah, totally. Um, but, I mean, what do, you th- what do you think about that, Una? Do you think that that's something that is really needed? Or um, do you think that it's a good idea? I don't know. Well, I'm kind of playing with it in my mind. Yeah. Is, is his motivation to get them to be better communicators? Yeah. Or is he getting, also, is it to be, to create more entertaining presentations? I don't know. For the consumers of the presentations? Yeah. Because yeah. in both ways, both. improv is really helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, there are always those research professors that are at, at a university because they're so brilliant, but they're terrible 
to take a class from. Yeah, I'm I, me being one of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, there's, <laughs> no, no, I took okay. one from a very famous linguist, and um, it was the most boring and terrifying class I ever took. Mm. You know, and I, who knows, but maybe if she had taken some improv and just kind of found a, a way to... Um, yeah, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I, <laughs> because it's improv good. is about... I, I like this process that we're hearing on the radio. Yeah, you're good. hearing me brainstorm. Yeah. Um, because improv is about being responsive to the people that you're wanting to connect with or the people that you're not wanting to connect with, connect with that, that are there. Yeah. Um, it's all about being in a dialogue. Right. So, and it's in service of... Um, the, the event and of the audience and of your other players, not necessarily in that order. It's probably the players first. So it's not about you. So I think that that's something that probably helps for scientists who are, they don't think of themselves as being good with people, is just to be like, well, it's not about me and, and my limitations. It's what do I need to do to get it out there for them to understand and enjoy? Well, and, and I mean, studies have shown the more you engage the class, right? Mm-hmm. The more you engage the students, the more they, the better they learn. And oh, yeah. especially with uh, certain subjects in science that are really, really scary, like math and physics for a lot of students, the more they're part of it. So when we were talking about um, to Ryan and Jordan, we were talking about having the the audience really part of that improv experience. The more you kind of learn that those skills, how do you get the students like kind of to commit or to be part of the mm-hmm. the whole learning process and I think I think it would be good I'm the more I'm t- talking about the more I want to take this class and be well, embarrassed I think you said it yourself when you talked about sharing with your students that you were really scared in the <laughs> class you took right that's the spirit of improv is saying I actually now understand and I'm totally connected to and I'm feeling empathy for how you guys are feeling right now and I want right. you to not have to worry so much that's normal it's, it's universal yeah. I mean a lot of what we do as improvisers is based on, you know, there's a circle of understanding that we share. We just think that we're different. Right. And actually the differences that do exist are what make things delightful and fun and funny and unique. I love watching Jordan because he's this tall spaghetti guy and he d- he moves like nobody else, you know. He's always moved like that ever since he was a child. Well, <laughs> and true. now he gets to share that with people and we love it, you know. But I, I'm pretty sure you weren't like walking into your first class going, well, I have one thing going for me. I love the way I move. I mean, right. maybe you were. Yeah. <laughs> and then just winking that. at everyone. I can do right. this. I can do the Gumby really good. Right. <laughs> And yet it, it's it's really wonderful, and people, with, you know, they see you on stage, they know they're going to have that, a great experience from that. Yeah. So, I, th- I think Jordan definitely also has the benefit of he's a really tall guy, and for some people that might be intimidating, but there's something about Jordan that is just not intimidating. Like, it's just, is that, uh, a, is that an insult? I or? thank you. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, my husband is shorter than Jordan, and they've known each other forever, but he, I think, does intimidate people because he looks like he's grumpy, like, all the time. He's got resting grumpy face. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that this idea of also of helping scientists communicate and telling them that communication and these social skills and actually bringing people in is important. Mm-hmm. I think um, in science we don't teach enough. And there's there's tons of scientists that are just normal people. Again, we're just we all have more similarities than we have differences. But I think it's just not taught in university that this idea that you should be communicating with your students, you should be caring about if they're actually getting this science or not, mm-hmm. um, and if they're having a good time even. Um, and I think that's important to, to teach. I so agree. I try. I also think that it, it one thing improv can show you is that it doesn't take all that much to 
to connect. Mm-hmm. It just might feel like it's going to before you right. try it. Yeah. Um, we organized um, a class for people on the spectrum, the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that scientists are on the spectrum by any means. There, there is just a statistical higher number but we'll go on yes sorry (laughs) because they bring with them so many of the talents that are perfect for that right but you know part of it when we were looking at how to teach the class was you know something that's great is if they know exactly like here are the rules of this game and this game is all about connection right (laughs) so this game is all going to you're actually going to get to practice connection in a safe place and then we're going to talk about it we can fine-tune it so that's another i think aspect of why it could be really good the the alan alda institute (laughs) yeah yeah i think so too and these rules to follow is something i I would love to see, and and I've I've actually known past um, scientists that are like me, are really care about the communication, really want to make science accessible, and they're like, I wish all scientists just took a drama class, but now I'm thinking all scientists need to take an improv class. That's what they need to take. I agree. Um, But so this, but what's the difference, right? What's the difference between improv versus like memorized stand-up comedy? So Mm -hmm. we were talking to Ryan, and he has opinions on like very drastic difference between the two. I was looking at an article and it was talking about how when you have a memorized uh, comedy routine, it's d- you're definitely using different parts of your brain. You're using parts of your brain that have deal with memory. It says here hippocampus. I think Dr. Jackie Rose talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. And then ta- and then the article talking about like um, rappers uh, versus jazz musicians, and they were looking at brain, and it is using a different part of the brain. How do you feel about that? How do you feel like a very, I don't know, there's a big difference between those two methods, those two kinds of comedy, I should say? Absolutely. I do. I think that, like we talked about before, a stand-up is trying to finesse something, memorize it, tweak it, stay really hypercritical as they're performing it so that they can continue to tweak it. You know, they'll make notes often. They keep a little journal of every single set. And it's not even the content of the jokes alone. It's the order that they tell them in. It's everything. They also have to be thinking about, inevitably, they're going to get um, people hassling them. Right, hecklers. Hecklers. And so... We talked about that with Ryan, too, so we can definitely talk about that more now. (laughs) Yeah, but a lot of them will, you know, figure out what works for them, and they'll fine-tune that, too. So it's it's such a hyper-conscious exercise all the time Um, and at least the comedians I know I mean they really approach it like a science actually right whereas the improvisers who approach improv that way don't get very far before they quit Mm. they get frustrated they don't understand why all their hard work isn't paying off right and it's not paying off because they are not doing improv they are they're thinking ahead they're not they're not responding they're reacting or they're just pushing their agenda on other people Mm. and they're not being very supportive because they're just so hell-bent on getting their idea out there that they already have decided is funny. Usually okay. playing with people like that is pretty uncomfortable, too. Like, you'll do it, you'll make it work, but you will prefer not to play with them again if you have a choice. So you're an educator. What's the analogy, then, with, like, traditional teaching, like, teach you know, professor up front, lecture, 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 versus, like, I'm thinking that that's kind of stand-up, right? That's, like, analogy to stand-up. And yeah. then, like, improv would be analogy to what kind of teaching, then? Um, I'm, this is all selfish. I just well, want to know this thing. <laughs> sure, experiential, any kind of experiential learning project where mm. you know you might let your students pick a topic, and and it's something that gets them actually interacting with the topic directly instead of learning about it 
second or third hand. Mm -hmm. And by doing it and feeling it, they then get to um, explore the quality of the experience, not just purely quantify it. And they don't really know what the outcome is yet, right? And the outcome doesn't matter. The outcome is the process. One of my favorite improv teachers says that. He says the product is the process, and the process is the product of an improv show. And I completely agree with that. And I would also say that... um, even though it is very qualitative, at the same time, improv is, it's quantity-based in that it's not about how good you can be, it's how much you can put out there. Mm, and that doesn't okay. mean you're constantly being hyper, it just means you're you're just going to, you're just going to put out offer after offer after offer, and maybe one or two of them will feel satisfying to you, and that is completely okay. Well, but that's trial and error, that's experimentation. That's, it is. That's life, right? Yeah. I don't know. So do you have anything to add about, I mean, what's your view, Jordan, about the difference between, like, stand-up and improv? I know you haven't done stand-up, right? You've no, only done improv. Uh, Are you I, terrified of stand-up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think what Ryan said resonates with me, uh, that with improv, the crowd is for you. They want to be entertained, whereas the the uh, stand-up crowd is really just like, entertain me. Right. They're not, you know, they assume you have these set jokes that you've fine-tuned. and Right. Yeah, they just want to be entertained. And I am not that type of person. I, most of the time, have no idea why people laugh at the things I say. <laughs> uh, and I honestly don't. And yeah. so I, I feel like I couldn't repeat that in a stand-up comedy set. Right, right. Oh, it, just, it just makes me think, when uh, Una, when you said that about how you would basically have to have your students really touching the stuff and interacting that's basically where all like science teaching is going now so it's it's funny how we're like going through these waves of lecturer uh, students versus you know interaction and Mm -hmm. i think that i think both have their pros and cons but i i think that it would be really really interesting to have more of a responsibility on the students to kind of interact and be part of learning. I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Maybe we should also have an improv class for students. Like totally. First week, freshman, you know, move in, improv. Right. I think that'd be great. We, I actually have done that with Western, but in smaller, not, not like the whole, you right. know, Western student body, but That's with awesome. smaller groups, it does, it seems to really help. Oh my gosh. These are all things that I'm going to totally tell the Dean of College of Science and Engineering, which I also told Ryan. So cool. But thank you for talking with us and thank you for helping us fill out our process of improv um, show. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks you, both of you. You're listening to Spark Science on KMRE 102.3 in Bellingham, and we're talking about improv comedy today with Ryan Stiles. We always end the show with basically some reference to TV. Like how oh. how is your it's, You do? Yeah. Because oh. I love TV. Yeah, I doesn't. like I like science. If you like TV, you should get cable. <laughs> I know. Because you're missing so <laughs> much of, of TV. Instead of Hulu everything. I gave up cable so I wouldn't fail at a grad school. And then oh, okay. I just never I had it back. The upfront does do classes for like team building for mm-hmm. for companies and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I forgot to mention, but that's kind of similar to this whole like kind of teaching scientists to communicate with each other and be team. Right. So who thought of that? I just wanted to ask that real quick because I think that's kind of cool. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that goes way back to Second City and way back okay. to some 
theater company in the 70s or something, okay. you know, in some commune somewhere, you know. I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> so does, everyone you know. does this? Like, I'm this sure is like... George Carlin went somewhere and did a thing with, yeah. you, know, you know, someone back in the 70s. Is that right? is that really popular, though, that you get you get a lot of businesses that do yeah, this, like, they, improv yeah, thing? Yeah. And, like, a lot of improv places just do this. This is how you make money? They make money that way. <laughs> and it, you, and make it, money. you know, provides a service. You know, Where right. else are you going to learn to get comfortable on stage? Right. That's true. Again, a stand-up's not going to go, you know what you got to do is write some jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Here's how I would deliver that joke. Yeah. Well, well that doesn't help them. Right. <laughs> right. Know? Oh, man. you got to find your persona. Well, no, you don't. You just have to be comfortable with people, and that's what we teach rather than I, I think putting I'll, jokes together. I'm going to suggest to the College of Science and Engineering to, to hire the upfront and teach scientists well, then you how, to, how to do improv. And something came out of this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right? This and in the end, in the end, <laughs> and yeah. in the end, yes, excellent. <laughs> what is it? The love we. What is it? I don't know what that song is. This is at the Doors. No, it's the Beatles. Oh well, then. Yeah, I don't know. This is what he does backstage you know before does we go. Does he really? On. Yeah. Just, he, just, he doesn't finish songs. I put things in people's <laughs> minds before we go backstage, and I listen to people talk about things backstage, and then I'll bring them up on stage. Oh yeah, yeah, getting loaded up with the stuff but backstage. Why would you talk about it if you didn't want me to bring it up? <laughs> yeah, like, but exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't put it on him. Right, it's Inception. I'll maybe be that person. You know? Oh okay. Yeah. You'll just give him the opening. Right. Like Banana Phone. That's a song that gets stuck in people's head. Banana phone? Bring, banana phone. Bring, bring, bring. No, no. Banana phone. No. No. But now that sticks in your mind. You know. <laughs> you know what banana phone is, though, right? No, no bring, idea. Bring, 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 banana phone. Do, 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 do. No? Never heard of that. Are you serious? I don't have kids yet. That, no, that's like from like the 20s or no, something. I don't remember that. Yeah. That's... He was born then, so. <laughs> it's in the 20s? Really? You're not going to either after. But, uh, <laughs> banana phone. Banana phone. Right? Or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The Sesame, Sesame Street. Street. Yeah. yeah. That yeah that's another yeah. one that gets stuck in the head. What's that on now? It's not on PBS anymore. It's going to be on HBO. I think it already is, actually. Is it? Yeah. It's yeah. going to be Game of Thrones. There's a lot of nudity and drugs in it. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And dragons. Yeah. Got to get some viewers. There's, and dragons. There's <laughs> always. Omar plays one of the young. <laughs> there's always been dragons, though. But as we go off into our aside, I want to thank you. For coming to talk to us. I, I'm sorry I couldn't give you any straight answers. That's right. <laughs> Quite all right. I tried. But that's, <laughs> that's not all, really what I do. That's all right. That's all right. It's the effort. It's the effort. A lot of times I'll do yeah. uh, you know radio shows and stuff where they'll, they'll be kind of upset that I didn't give many I don't care. straight answers. Yeah. But I'm, I don't know what they thought I was going to do. We're just happy you got to spend some time yeah. with us. You know, my uh, son, when he was little, I don't yeah. even know what grade he was in, maybe three or four, grade three or four, the dads had to come in and talk about what they did for a living. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't I just laugh in, at that buildup. And I came in, and the teacher said, what are you planning on doing? I said, well, I thought I would uh, you know, take the kids and make them each an individual animal and then give them an activity to do and see if the other kids can guess what they're doing. That sounds awesome. And she said, what does that have to do with being a plumber? He was so ashamed at what I did, he told her I was a plumber. Oh, no. I said, it hasn't got anything to do with being a plumber. So I had to explain to her what I did. Oh, no. He, just, he was ashamed of it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. How old is he now? Uh, 21. Okay, so still, is he still ashamed? Yeah, still to this day, I'm a plumber. Yeah. <laughs> right. Plumber? My dad could fix that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me call him. I'll call him. He's probably at work. He's a whiz with the plunger. <laughs> oh, he's got a van. <laughs> oh, my God. When is my daughter going to be ashamed of me? Already happened. Yeah, it's already. She's six. It's too late. Yeah. yeah. It might have happened already. <laughs> <laughs> it already did. Yeah. It was the first day of school. 
All right. Well, thank you for coming to talk Thanks to us. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. And uh, good luck on your tour. Thank you. Yeah. And hopefully, I don't know, hopefully Jordan doesn't bother you too much. Mm-hmm. I always in the future. do. Never does. Four Never and a half does. pounds. Four and a half pounds. Four and a half pounds. That's how much he weighs. He's very skinny. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. We just spoke with comedian Ryan Stiles about the process of improv. If you've missed any of our show, go to our website, kmre.org, and click on the podcast link. Our show is entirely volunteer run, and if you'd like to help us out, click on the button, Donate. Today's episode was produced in the KMRE Spark Radio Studios, located at the Spark Museum on Bay Street in Bellingham. Our producer is Katie Knudsen, and the engineer for today's show is Eric Fabuletta. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Black Alicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass defect, lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant, mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, trans uranium, if y'all was uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, bah. law of death, nit proportion gaining weight, I'm every element around.